And again, it's good to worship with all of you today. Uh, since we're having our annual congregational meeting today, and since uh, Tuesday is the end of our current fiscal year, which ends on July 31st, or August 31st, um, today is the day I typically share my annual state of the church message with you. Um, and so I usually talk about where we are as a church and where I see us going over the next 12 months. Um, and in normal times, that's a fairly easy thing to do. Um, but these are anything but normal times these days. Uh, I, I had lunch with eight other senior pastors from our community a couple of weeks ago. And all of us, without exception, as we sat around having lunch together, were struggling to kind of get our arms around the state of our congregations right now um, in the midst of what we've been going through the last year and a half. And it's easy to get discouraged. Uh, discouragement is especially tempting when we idealize the early church that we read about in the book of Acts, and then we compare ourselves to that idealized picture. But you know, a close reading of the book of Acts reveals that the early church faced a lot of challenges. And today I want to look at one moment in time from the early church in the book of Acts and imagine what it would have been like if the pastor gave a state of the church message in that moment of time for that church. Then I want to talk about where I think Glenkirk is right now and what I think God is saying to us about the next 12 months and days ahead. So the moment in time actually comes from the book of Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And um, I'm, I apologize, we only have slides for two of the verses, but I'm going to actually read three. And uh, so it says this, Saul approved of their killing him. Talk about more on that in a minute. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Uh, the first part of, of verse 1 seems to fit more with chapter 7. Chapter 7 is the account of the murder of Stephen. Stephen was one of the Jerusalem church's first deacons. And he was also the very first Christian martyr. Um, hopefully that doesn't cause any of today's deacon nominees to have any second thoughts about being elected today. Um, Stephen was killed for his faith in Jesus. And here in chapter 8, we're introduced to a man named Saul who fully supported the killing of Stephen and who then builds on that to try to destroy the church in Jerusalem. Now the leader of the Jerusalem church was a man named James. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and it's the very same James who wrote the book of James that we're going to begin studying and looking at beginning next week in our faith work series, that James. And according to church history, people nicknamed James, James the Righteous, because of his reputation for constant prayer and for deep integrity. James was the primary leader of the church in Jerusalem. We might call him the senior pastor of the Jerusalem church. And so I got to thinking, what might it have been like if James had had to give an, uh, a state of the church message after Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3? 
I think it might have gone something like this. We keep telling people about Jesus, but those who claim to follow God keep opposing us. We tell people about Jesus, but we keep meeting opposition. The, the first seven chapters of Acts tell us that members of the Jerusalem church were constantly telling a lot of people about Jesus, and each time they do, they experience opposition. And this opposition was not coming from the government. It was coming from religious leaders like Saul. And it builds and builds and builds until it explodes in the murder of Stephen and the scattering of the church in Jerusalem. I think James also might have said, we generously share with those in need, but some people are upset about those slipping through the cracks. We're sharing with those in need, but some people are slipping through the cracks. According to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, members of the Jerusalem church pooled their resources in order to share with people who were needy, both within their congregation and within Jerusalem. And this went great until you get to Acts chapter 7, when you find out that some people were slipping through the cracks. Some of the widows were being neglected. And a lot of the church members were upset about it. And to make it even worse, it appeared that there was a racial or cultural bias behind this neglect. Because the Hebrew widows were all well taken care of, but it was some of the Hellenistic widows who were being neglected. And so church members were complaining to James, why does our church care about Hebrew widows more than Hellenistic widows? And whether it was intentional or not, this was creating a huge problem in the Jerusalem church. Finally, I think James would have said, we used to have thousands attending our church, and now we only have a few dozen. They went from thousands to a few dozen. Now, the Jerusalem church was the very first megachurch. According to Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, more than 3,000 people in Jerusalem came to faith in Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 4, 5,000 more people come to faith in Jesus. So even if only half of those people lived in the city of Jerusalem, that's still a church of 4,000 people not counting kids. Yet here in chapter 8, nearly everyone scatters, and only the apostles are left. So, so let's say it's the apostles and their families. That's just a couple of dozen people. What an inspiring church, state of the church message, James. Thanks for sharing that with us. Now I share all this because Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, is just a moment of time. It didn't invalidate all that God had done up to that point, and it didn't predetermine everything that was going to happen afterwards. It was just one moment in time. So what about Glenkirk at this one moment in time? Where are we? Let me mention four things. First, we are striving to live out our mission during a global pandemic. Striving to live out our mission. For the last 18 months, we've had to pivot, adapt, change, readjust, course correct, innovate, and a lot of other verbs in how we live out our mission as a congregation during the worst pandemic in more than a century. 
We've prayed and asked God for wisdom. We've, we've looked to the Bible for guidance. We've consulted with other churches. We've received direction from our denomination. We've looked at church history for wisdom and how the church has navigated pandemics before. And yet despite doing all of those things, it has been an imperfect journey for us. And it's not over yet. But we are striving to live out our mission. Second, we are seeking to be wise financially amid lots of economic uncertainties. To be wise financially. Our economy has been volatile over the last year and a half with historic unemployment rates, radical market shifts, inflation, small businesses struggling, rising homelessness in our county, and entire industries in crisis. And so as a church, we're trying to navigate those uncertain waters wisely. Tuesday is the last day of our fiscal year. We will most likely finish short of what we anticipated coming in. But because we've kept our spending down over the last 12 months, we'll end up with a reserve instead of a deficit. We are trying to be wise. Third, we are working to stay unified in a culture that wants to divide us. To stay unified. There are forces in our world, both human forces and invisible spiritual forces, that want to splinter God's people into various factions and divisions. Topics like politics and justice, racism and immigration, mask wearing and vaccines, just to name a few, have fractured the people of God in our culture into divisions. And make no mistake about it, the forces of evil delight in that division. We don't have to agree on everything to be unified as a congregation. But we do have to agree that our shared commitment to the Lordship of Jesus unites us more than our differences on other topics do. That only when we stay focused on Jesus more than the things that can divide us are we able to obey the biblical command that we find in Ephesians chapter 4 that commands every Christian to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. To make every effort. And it does take effort. Constant effort. Effort from your pastors and your elders. Effort from you. We are working to stay unified. And finally, we are contending for the truth of the gospel against competing messages. Contending for the truth of the message of Jesus Christ. Glenkirk is and always will be a gospel-centered church. We believe that the good news of Jesus is the only force that can reconcile people to God and reconcile people to each other. And amid a culture that bombards us with competing messages that falsely promise hope, political messages and ideological messages, conspiracy theory messages and economic messages, we must contend for the truth of the gospel of Jesus. So I think this is the state of Glenkirk right now, striving to live out our mission, seeking to be wise financially, working to stay unified and contending for the truth of the good news of Jesus. So back to Acts chapter 8. Let's consider a little bit about what happened after James's imaginary state of the church message. 
Later in chapter 8, we see unprecedented outreach. The scattering of the Jerusalem church led one of the deacons of the Jerusalem church, a guy named Philip, to share the message of Jesus with the people in the city of Samaria for the very first time. And then later in chapter 8, that same deacon, Philip, encountered an Ethiopian who was on his way from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. He shared the message of Jesus with that man, and he became the very first person to carry the message of Jesus into the continent of Africa. Unprecedented outreach. Chapter 9, we see an unexpected conversion. The man who hated the church. The man who had instigated the persecution to try to destroy the church in Jerusalem, Saul, comes to faith in Jesus. We know him by his Roman name, Paul, and he would become one of the most influential leaders in the early church. He would go on to write 13 of the 27 books we have in our New Testament. No one could have predicted it. Unexpected conversions. In chapter 10, Christians find new insights into how to live out the message of Jesus, how to live out the gospel. Uh, prior to chapter 10, up till that time, the church had been only for Jewish people, with, with Philip kind of pushing that boundary with the Samaritans and with an Ethiopian. But in chapter 10, the apostle Peter, who is from the church in Jerusalem, has a vision where God reveals to him that they should welcome non-Jewish people into the fold as well. And this radical new insight leads Peter to share the message of Jesus with a Roman soldier named Cornelius. And Cornelius and his entire household come to faith in Jesus. And that begins a flood of non-Jewish people who begin flooding into the early church. By chapter 11, as Peter's new insight begins to spread, we see the formation of new churches. New churches. In fact, one of those new churches is the church in Antioch, which is the very first multi-ethnic church. Acts tells us that the church in Antioch was composed of Christians from all kinds of different racial and ethnic and cultural backgrounds worshiping together. And it was a bold, radical statement that the gospel of Jesus could unify people who the rest of the world divided and fragmented. By chapter 13, we see the raising up of the very first Christian missionaries. That church in Antioch raises up and sends out Paul and Barnabas as missionaries to start new churches based on Peter's new insight into the gospel. And Paul and Barnabas cross into Europe and Asia to start these new churches. And then finally, by chapters 14 and 15, we find the unification of divided believers unification. This happens back in Jerusalem at a, at a council led by our friend James. Because not everyone was excited about Peter's new insight into the gospel and not everybody agreed with how Paul and Barnabas were applying that insight and in starting new churches. And so the church was starting to divide and to fight and to argue because some thought it was too radical. But at that Jerusalem council, James was able to bring those sides together into unity to find common ground. You see, if we only looked at one moment in time, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. There'd be a lot to be discouraged about. But look at what came after next. Unprecedented outreach and unexpected conversions. New insights and new churches. 
Raising up of the first missionaries and unification of divided believers. That's some pretty amazing stuff. I think the state of the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8 is a good reminder for us to not allow our present moment to define us. Yes, we need to be fully present to what's happening in the moment. But it is just a moment. So what do I see coming in the next 12 months for us as a congregation? Some people have asked me if I have a strategic plan for Glenkirk. And I'll be honest, through the uh, years ago, I, I taught strategic planning for churches and nonprofits at two different seminaries. And I know there's value in going through a strategic planning process. But I also know that every church that had a strategic plan a year and a half ago had to toss it. Because there's no way they could have predicted what the last 18 months has been like. So the last 10 years, I've looked at church direction as less like a strategic business plan and more like going sailing in the open sea. And maybe it's because my, my dad used to take me sailing when I was young. But when you go sailing in the open ocean, I mean, you have a destination in mind and you have ways to navigate it. You, you know, you're not just sailing aimlessly, going in circles. But as you sail towards your destination, you constantly have to adapt in real time to changing conditions that you encounter. Changing weather, changing tides, the need for resupply, the need for repairs. So as you sail towards your destination, you adapt in real time so you can keep moving towards your destination. Where's Glenkirk sailing to? I always go back to our mission as a congregation. We are a worshiping community, inviting everyone to join in the journey of becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, loving God and his world. Worship, invite, become, and love. This is where we're sailing to. In the open sea of our compromised, polarized, traumatized, terrorized, and commercialized culture, this is where we're sailing, to be a worshiping community, that our worship of God, the God who has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, is what makes us a community with each other. It's not living in the same neighborhood or having kids the same age. It's not being in the same stage of life or the same age. It's not because we all vote the same way because we don't. It's not because we all look the same because we don't. We are first and foremost a worshiping community, a community that has been called into being because we worship the God who has saved us through Jesus Christ. And the greater our vision of God, of his greatness, of his glory, of his love, of his mercy, of his sovereignty, of his mystery, the more that vision of the God we worship will bind us together as a community. And I hope you know that worship is more than music. As, as much as I love our, our worship team, as much as I love our choir, as much as I love our, our organ preludes and postludes, that worship is more than our music. It's also the preaching of the word of God. It's receiving new covenant partners. It's ordaining new leaders. It's celebrating the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's praying for our world. It's our giving. It's being sent back into the world to be a blessing. Our in-person worship attendance right now is about half of what it was 18 months ago. 
And we're not alone in that. At that, that senior pastor lunch I was at, all eight churches were experiencing the same thing that we are. And I know that many people are still live streaming. And I'm grateful for the technology to live stream. We will continue to live stream. And I know that some have changed churches. But I think that a lot of people have just gotten out of the rhythm of regular worship as a community. And so over the last 12 months, it's time for us to reconnect as a worshiping community. To come together with a renewed sense of expectation that we're not just coming to see each other. We're not just coming to hear a sermon and to be inspired by music. But we are coming together to encounter the living God who is the one who makes us a community. Our worship is also to invite. Inviting everyone to join in the journey. Several eco-pastors are reading a book right now by an author called Alan Hirsch called The Forgotten Ways. And Hirsch says that most churches in Western culture today are positioned to reach new people who already look and act like Christians even though they haven't trusted Jesus yet. Um, so Hirsch calls that the low-hanging fruit around us. And um, this is a constantly shrinking group in our world today. Which is one reason why church attendance has been steadily declining. In fact, according to the Gallup organization, last year, for the first time since they've been keeping track, church attendance in the U.S. dropped below 50%. That if we want to invite everyone to join us in the journey, we need to start looking beyond people who already look like us. Part of that is... is our call of Gio Garcia as an assistant pastor to plant a Spanish-speaking church in our community. But it also means each of us personally stepping out of our comfort zone. Not just looking for people who already look like us or act like us, but reaching across barriers to share the message of Jesus. That when a church is surrounded by low-hanging fruit, outreach is easy, but those days are gone. It takes effort and commitment if we're going to be an inviting church. Our mission also includes becoming. All of us becoming more and more fully devoted to Jesus. The longer you're a Christian, the easier it is to just kind of plateau in your spiritual development and stop growing, and we can't let that happen. Each of us needs to continually take our next steps in our own spiritual formation, and that includes me as much as it includes you as well. My, my continual prayer is that our ministries are not just helping people develop deep friendships, but they're places of becoming, places of discipleship and spiritual transformation, inspiring us and inviting us to go deeper with God. That's one reason we're starting these short-term faith work small groups, to give people an opportunity to do that, because we will stagnate and die if we are not becoming continually going deeper with God. And finally, our mission is to love, to love God and to love the world God made. For us to be known in our community, not by our outrage or our politics or by what we're against, but by our love, by our love for God and our love for the world that God created. I believe this is the way forward as we sail into the open sea for the next 12 months. And we have a lot to do over the next year. We're in the middle of a search for the right staff member to lead our ministry to middle school, high school, 
and young adults. We will be next, uh, in December celebrating Pastor Betsy's 37 years of pastoral ministry here at Glenkirk as she retires at the end of December and we'll be searching for a new associate pastor. In fact, our current nominating committee is already working on coming up with a slate for, for the congregation to vote on to comprise an associate pastor nominating committee. And we'll probably have a congregational meeting in the next couple of months to, to select that slate. We'll also be sending out a survey to help that nominating committee in their work. And I hope everyone participates in that survey to get a sense of what our congregation needs as we think about a new associate pastor. I'm looking for this next year to be a year of going deeper in our own spiritual transformation. Deeper in our application of the Bible. Deeper in our sense of community. Deeper in our commitment to share the message of Jesus with those around us. Deeper in our commitment to service. All of those opportunities to serve out on the patio today. Because I'm convinced if we keep sailing together towards our mission. That no matter what the changing winds and changing tides bring. That we will flourish along the way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you that the church in Jerusalem wasn't perfect either. Thank you that they had ups and downs and challenges and that you were with them in the peaks and in the valleys just as you are with us. Lord, this is your congregation. We continually trust it to you for you to do with it as you will. God, we love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, after this final song, Indra and Gio will come up and uh, share with you and then we'll have the postlude. Um, and then um, I would invite you to leave, everybody to leave so we can then get set up for the congregational meeting that will start um, probably about 10 to 15 minutes after the conclusion of the service.